Episode 3, Commitment and Destiny. Hi, everybody. My name is Marcus Knight. Uh, Welcome back to another installment of the Make Impact Movement podcast series. The podcast series that looks to inspire and to motivate social adventurers to go out into the world to make it a better place. I'm here with Robert Mayfield, uh, a man of many titles, and he is uh, a man of many uh, activities and, and very much involved in the community. So what me and Robert have been going through has been very, very difficult for everybody who's out there listening. Uh, this is about our, our second time at it, uh, and we're going to get it right. It was my fault, but we're, we're getting it right. And he's been very patient, but I, I really do believe what he has to share in terms of his insights uh, will be just as powerful to people who are listening as they were for me to receive them. And so what we tend to do is, uh, if you're listening in, is that we go through, you know, different stages in the podcast to arouse people from reflection to action. And so uh, I want Robert, because I've known Robert Robert for about uh, almost a year now, about eight months. Uh, I want Robert to share more about his background because it's awesome. Uh, as we were going through and recording the different episodes, I learned a lot about him that I had not known over the time I had known him before we created the podcast. And so, Robert, uh, if you can just share about your background, your childhood, uh, your professional background, all that good stuff. All of that good stuff. All that good stuff. Uh, Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Marcus, for this opportunity. Um, By the way, happy Kwanzaa. Oh, thank you. Happy Kwanzaa. Today is what? Yes, sir. Kuji Chagalia. Okay. Self-determination. Yes, sir. (laughs) So it, it, it's a good it's a good day to uh, to reflect for me. Um, this year has been very exciting because actually it's been my my fortieth year oh. uh, in doing this work, and so um, I've been doing a lot of reflections. And as I looked at my professional career, it has really been in about four phases. There's the neighborhood development piece, the program development piece, the organizational development piece. And I guess for the last eight years or so, it's totally has been like social entrepreneurship. Uh-huh. And uh, I started out straight out of college, uh, had been interning with a coalition of neighborhood groups and uh, we were able to acquire some funding and get some VISTA volunteers. I became the VISTA supervisor. Then the, as funding increased, I became the executive director. How old were you when you became the executive director? I was 22. Oh, you're young. And so um, I didn't know any better to... Uh, not embark on that, not take on that challenge. <laughs> but it really put me on a a uh, plane to really view all aspects of community development. Mm-hmm. Um, at that particular time, I was working right outside of Atlanta in neighborhoods that were uh, in transition. There was a lot of uh, community disinvestment, uh, white flight, uh, abandoned homes. And so I was able to look at the entire community and really learn the nuts and bolts of community organizing. And so I, I really learned the importance of neighborhood groups and how they can really have a voice in their, uh, in their self-determination. And so Fitting for today. From that aspect, I started doing programming. Uh, Later on, went back to work at Georgia State University, where I was a graduate. 
and worked in the Center for Public and Urban Research. So that that gave me a different uh, reflection note because I learned more about grantsmanship, but also learned about uh, survey instrumentation uh-huh. and uh, some evaluation types of stuff. And so uh, I think it was at that particular point that I said, okay, I need to be in position to share that aspect of my career, my my gifts with a broader segment of, of folks that I didn't think it was. But when did you make that transition? So I'm I, curious because I don't think I asked you that last time. When did you make the transition from executive director to uh, the agency you were working at? Uh, it was probably after about three or four years. It was, to me, it was a lifetime, (laughs) (laughs) but it was after three or four years and I I was totally burned out to be quite transparent. Uh, if you can imagine, um, working with 20 disparate neighborhood development organizations, uh, many of them, um, had been around for a long time period, but these were very influential folks in their communities. Mm-hmm. And so um, we started dealing with a lot of different politics in which I wasn't very astute at. Yeah. One particular memory that, that I, I'd like to share with you is this, is um, the chairman of the county commissioner, he had written a letter to the secretary of HUD at that time, mind you, Jimmy Carter was president at that time. Uh-huh. And we were getting some HUD funding. And um, the local position on that was that the county should receive the dollars and send those dollars to the neighborhoods if they get there. But the county commissioner, his protest was this. He just didn't think that we should be providing community services, you know, from that level of perspective. And he wrote uh, the Secretary of HUD protesting that. And the Secretary of HUD, which was, uh, uh-huh. uh, I think, the first African-American uh, Secretary of HUD, Patricia Roberts-Harris, uh, she wrote me a letter, and I wish I had kept it, and she said, Obviously, you're doing a great job if you're rattling, you know, the local politicals. And um, uh, so when the county commissioners tried to block our funding, you know, I went to the media and uh, quoted the letter. (laughs) So, uh, hey, I wasn't a very popular guy at that point. But when you're coming in to make change, that tends to be what happens, right? Because people are used to things being done a certain way. And, you know, you're young and young people are, I wouldn't, I think, I was about to say young people are idealistic, but we make a big deal out of being idealistic as if it's a bad thing. But, I mean, you came in, you saw, you had a vision and you wanted to make it happen, but people don't usually like that because you're messing up the flow of things. What the thing about it is... um... If you're talking about the 1980s, you know, there still was this, the racial thing was, was, hey, was everything mm-hmm. and everywhere. And so um, the type of harassment that I started to get was that uh, uh, I had a nice car, was very young. Um, I did not actually live in the community. Uh, and so the police officers started harassing me, following me home, you know, those types of things. And so, uh, actually I feared for my life, uh, because it had just gotten that political. And so, you know, some of my advisors, they said, you know, either we recommend that you go in full force Uh into the political realm or you do something oh. else. And so I uh, I chose Ugh. to do something else. I started, I started to run for 
city council person in, in my uh, in my district. Uh, but um, I decided against it. And so uh, I uh, started looking around for other opportunities and I landed at my alma mater. And uh, I didn't know politics was so dirty. <laughs> Unethical. <laughs> yes, sir. And so uh, I said, okay, I always wanted to be on the neighborhood side of it, you know, sort of like the bottom up approach. And so um, that's where that transition took place. That's awesome. Okay. And then you transitioned into uh, working at your uh, alma mater. And uh, you were talking about learning survey design, uh, yes. a lot of these tools to uh, to get, gain the insights and gather the voice of, you know, community members or whoever you're you're working with. Absolutely, and so so that they could be more empowered. Yeah. And so you worked there for how long? I worked at Georgia State for about about eight years. And I really enjoyed that work. And um, I uh, eventually elevated to um, my own uh, portfolio work. Uh, I became the director of comprehensive youth services, mm -hmm. uh, basically because I wrote the grant <laughs> that brought in the money. And so I became a project director. And... Um, Wow, that really opened up all opportunities galore for me um, because I was able to work with a lot of segments of, uh, of, of youth who had varying problems. Most of them were high school dropouts, uh, had been involved with the uh, criminal justice system, mm -hmm. were in foster care that sort of thing. And so I had an opportunity to work uh, hands on with, with, with those individuals. And that really gave me a, a, uh, a lot of insight and much love for young people. Absolutely. And I, we talked about this last time and that was the piece. I'm, so I'm glad we're, we're uh, re-recording everything because we talked about this last time because I had mentioned the fact that you there was a shift between your work in the community to your work at uh, your alma mater where you were working with young people and uh, how it went very from very political right so very grassroots and polit politically oriented to to being very much around youth development how it was it's not a drastic shift but it's it's a noticeable shift and so to understand your background basically having to manage all these politics uh and then having to now, you know, to, to find other work that uh, really, I guess, uh, empowered you and inspired you uh, and you're working with young people. Absolutely. It, it, it seems very much like destiny. And that's what I mentioned last time, because uh, I'm a very, I'm a really big spiritual person in terms of, you know, things being uh, there being something greater and you being guided by a force that you can't see. And so. Uh, at 22 years old, you're this executive director, you're working in the community and through forces of not your own, you're then uh, you're basically you nudged in another direction. And how you, now you're working with young people who need your help and you built a program to do so. I did. I did. And um, after being there eight years and learning the politics of uh of universities and colleges, own beast. I had reached, I had reached the glass ceiling there. Uh, -huh. uh you know, particularly if I, I wasn't a PhD, and um, that was not where I was going. Uh, and so, uh, after reaching that glass ceiling, uh, I was engaged at the time, and my uh, my fiance, she said. Uh, your destiny is not here at Georgia State. And so, um, you know, you, you really need to uh, take an opportunity uh, with all of this good favor that you're, you have garnered uh, to uh, be self-employed. Yeah. 
to do consultancy work. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, you know, I uh, went and got incorporated and uh, Georgia State gave me their blessings. They said, okay, um, you do good work. We still need your services. And so we'll give you a small mm-hmm. contract, which was good. I was able to acquire some um, office space near the university. So I, because I still had these relationships at the university. And so everybody was tr- helping me with my, my business. And I was able to get uh, several contracts uh, through the uh, Job Training Partnership Act. And so... Um, well, you had a business business. Yeah, was- life, life was good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Life was good. And, and I was... I, I, the good thing about it was that I had two persons from the university to follow me. So, I mean, I had great staffing of folks who could, who could deliver. Hmm. The one thing that I didn't anticipate, which is still a struggle for um, most startups, is that I completed the work. I completed 12 months of work and had the billings and all of that and still had not received the check oh, yeah. in six months. That's notorious of consulting work or contract work in general. Oh, oh my God. Oh, man. <laughs> so after after owing everybody in the world, uh-huh. including my parents, uh, when I finally got the check, I said, wow. I said, I, I got to figure out another way to uh, to do this. And so I didn't apply for those particular grants again. Uh, and they were saying, Mayfield, we didn't get we didn't get your proposal. I said I can't afford to do business with you. Oh uh, yeah, which so and that, that that was true. I have a couple questions for you, Robert. So I, I I'm curious uh, when you were doing the work, and I know that you know the nature of consulting uh, is is volatile. Um, I have my own boutique consulting firm, and so not only is finding clients uh, can be a challenge, but also too uh, the payment piece is huge, right? Uh, and so it is. I, I know that as you're going through and you're doing the work as a consultant, you know, there has to be a reason why you are selecting these projects uh, because they resonate with you. And so I'm curious, is, are there were there any projects that resonated more with you than others uh, as you were doing consulting work? Oh, yes. There was a particular project. Uh, it was called Simba. And it was a Saturday Institute for Manhood, Brotherhood, Actualization. And this program mm-hmm. was for young people who were incarcerated. Um, in Georgia, they call them youth development centers. And so uh, I worked with an organization. They, they were a nonprofit. And they had... Um, put together, I think it was funding from the Office of Minority Health. And uh, we we had Mm -hmm. uh, jointly written a proposal and I had gotten this reputation for being the guru on uh, workforce development, youth unemployment, youth employment and that sort of thing. And so they wanted me to work on the employment piece. You know, wrote it up. And so um, that was an amazing program. Uh, did some uh, some great work. Again, had a great team around me. Uh, mm-hmm. With the evaluation, mine was the only uh, segment that had received, had significant statistical significant change uh, after a year, and um, I think it really had a lot of promise for becoming like a national model for working with people, you know, young people who were incarcerated. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, there 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 was uh, uh, some conflict over money with me and the organization. Uh, yeah, 
basically uh they wanted after this maybe the third year they wanted me to reduce my payments and uh you know i made some concessions but at, after a time period um i i just didn't see any reason to make concessions because my piece yeah. was my piece was what was giving them the notoriety and so um i think the most significant uh portion of the work that i was doing was that after the young people were being released I would follow them back into their communities and connect them with uh, churches, you know, YMCA's. So I always believed in, you know, doing a follow up and connecting them with a piece that was stable and sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I look to that model as one that would even work today. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. I did have a second question, sure. but Robert, I forget it. And it's okay because you know what? You have That's a lot okay, more to share. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and if it comes, if I remember it, I'll definitely, uh, I'll ask you it. So, uh, just for anybody who's, who's listening in, uh, you move from community to, uh, the university consulting. And then what's, what's, what's after that? Well, after that, I, I, I was on my own doing the consultancy stuff. And so, um, and I basically have been on that track ever since. Okay. And a lonely road. One of my lessons learned for for those of you who uh, who want to take a similar path is that you have to find organizations that can pay regularly and consistently, and then you also have to uh, find you know get to a point where you can have a line of credit with the bank. It's just, you know, it's it's just business. Even if it's nonprofit yeah. business, it's just business. So until I until I was able I to get that. to that point, yeah. I was always frustrated. Because ultimately, and this is, you know, I've been doing this for about a year, like the whole consulting piece, and that's where I met you at. Uh, what I didn't share up front, everybody, was mm -hmm. that I actually met Robert uh, through a platform called Taproot, and uh, they matched me with the organization uh, that was associated with Morehouse College. And uh, basically, it was a youth entrepreneurship program. And so uh, Robert actually was one of the VISTA uh, employees with the, uh, the youth program. And uh, we were working together for a bit uh, before, uh, I, you know, I would imagine life happened. And so, uh, but... Going back to what I was saying about consulting, it's, it's very volatile and it's un, it's unstable, but it, it, it's equally rewarding, I would imagine, right? It's a reason why you chose that over yes. uh, a staff position somewhere else. Absolutely. And I, I, I have had staff positions in other places because as part of my uh, the services that I offered was that I would offer myself up as a loaned executive uh -huh. if they were in transition and they wanted to find an executive director but they needed somebody you know to hold the fort down for a time period you know i would even do the executive search for them oh yeah yes and so um because i was serving on a number of boards and so the nonprofits were saying, we need a person. Robert, would you be interested in a job? Temporary contract, yes, I would. Mm -hmm. So I just would contract myself out as, you know, the ED until they were able to find one. Or uh, I would, they would contract me to do the executive search for them. And, uh, you know, it was... Looking at those opportunities, those things help keep me, mm -hmm. uh, my name out there as well as uh, oh, yeah. keep me financially. And what I will say equally about the work is I think it, it attracts a certain type of uh, person. You know, you have this, you have this work where it's 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 forever changing, right? You're never really doing the same thing on a project uh, with different organizations, and so it's it's definitely a level of excitement and uh, and mystery to it. 
And so, I, you know, just thinking for myself, craving victory, you know? Yes, and I can tell you about one, one, one opportunity. Absolutely. There was one opportunity uh, in New Orleans uh, where we had brought some significant, when I say we, uh, one of my uh, colleagues and I, we, <clears throat> we had developed a, uh, another consultancy group. And so um, we were replicating a program that we both had been involved in in another part of the city. And so um, the organization was was in flux. They had a lot of resources. Um, and actually, my my partner, she was on staff, and I had a contract. And so uh-huh. she had the opportunity to leave, and she went to work at HUD. And um, that left a a void within the organization. And so our funding source said, okay, we're not comfortable with that position not being filled. And I said, well, no problem. I will make certain that I find somebody. And they said, well, no, we want you there. Wow. Yeah. And so um, I've had that to occur on on a couple of occasions. It's like um, when you have relationships with foundations, they say, okay, uh, you've done excellent work with other organizations. And so we will only fund this organization because you have endorsed them. But if you're not yeah. there, we're not going to feel comfortable. And so, um, you know, they were saying, okay, we, we have problems with the board structure. You know, you got some folk on the board that, you know, we don't, you know, we, we don't trust their ethics. And so uh, they said from the inside, fix it. And we'll continue, yeah. you know, to work with the Infonia. And so I've I've had opportunities like that as well. And so when when you got money, you better save it (laughs) because you're gonna need because there are gonna be some projects, particularly uh, wow, you know, like uh, universities. Some universities are notorious for not paying on time, uh, and government agencies. Okay. So, uh, did you want to share anything else about your background, your your personal, professional history uh, that you think is powerful for anybody to know before we move on to the next segment? Well, other than um, being able to provide technical assistance to other organizations who who need their capacity built. So, um, if you're going to be in this line of work, I think it's very important that you learned all aspects of uh, organizational development. Okay. They may need a grant writer, but before you can get a grant, they need some other aspect ah. of their organization tweak. Yep. They, you know, I, I'll look at a person's, they'll say, Mayfield, you know, will you write us a grant? And I say, well, can I see your financials? Oh, that's a... <laughs> Can I see your board list? You know, that's a huge issue. And And uh, sometimes that's where the conversation ends. Oh yeah, no, and I think, and it sucks because I have to transition. But that's exactly (laughs) that's a huge issue with uh, nonprofits. Is that I think because, and this is what I was saying, then we'll transition. But I think a lot of them are focused on the funding, but. You know, uh, it's like this that old saying where, you know, uh, or not an old saying, but you know how you're told when you're a kid to save a quarter, right? Uh-huh. If you practice saving habits, things will be okay. And so I think about nonprofits from the perspective of, uh, from that, from that, you know, a lot of them think it's a matter of money, which comes into play, but it's just, it, it also is a matter of habits and, 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 and systems that they have in place or the lack thereof that leads them to being into certain situations that they end up being in. 
Uh, and so you have to be discerning as you walk into the door to not provide a solution uh, that they don't need right now or that they don't need at all. But yeah, no, I completely agree with you. You have to you have to do your due diligence and, and ensure that that you are what they need at the moment. Absolutely. So we're going to transition into the next segment, which is called the Big Five. And the Big Five is five existential questions that get at the philosophy and at uh, the heart of who you are, your inspiration, your motivation. And so these are five questions that uh, should be answered within uh, three minutes to uh, provide succinct answers to make it more digestible for listeners. And so, Robert, the first question is uh, centered around social ventures. And I, I talked to you offline about it, and we talked about it, as I mentioned earlier, we recorded uh, previously. But just to review what it is, you know, it's uh, a social ventures is someone who is dedicated to uh, the, the doing the work, the social impact work. And so they provide either money or labor or the combination to make the world a better place. And so my first question is hinged on social ventures. And my first question is, what do you think the role of a social ventures is in creating positive change in the world? Well, Marcus, I think that a person has to have empathy first. Because if, uh, if, you cannot relate to others who uh, have been marginalized. Um, I don't think that that you can be effective in really identifying, you know, what those issues are and finding solutions for those issues. And so I definitely think that if you can um, put yourself in someone else's shoes and that that should be um very easy for uh a person who really has has the passion and for a person who's really going to be successful in that and so i think that the you know that role you have to be able to relate and you have to have empathy because if you if you don't um you know it it becomes yeah. something else you know it either becomes something about, you know, money, resources, fame, fortunes, you know, celebrity. I don't know, but something else. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think it's, uh, in, in particular to you, it's reflective of your, of your history, especially when you start talking about consulting, right? And how you had to, uh, well, circumstances led you to kind of have to manage things until you get paid. And I think that's very reflective because you could have just walked off and not done anything, but you stay committed to the work. And I think that is, like you said, empathy is the spirit of a social ventrist is that they feel that pain and they feel it's a, a urgent and very visceral uh, reaction to want to respond to make things better. Uh, so the second question is, why do you believe your work is important? Well, I know my work is important for this reason. No man is an island. We all have things that that we uh, bring to the table. And if, you, if you're really talking about making an impact where the, the measurements are uh, are significant, then you, you're, you're talking about not only, um, you're talking about really not only bringing yourself along, but bringing others along with you. And so the, the impact of it is if, if I can work with the neighborhood organization, yeah, then I can work with the, a larger community. I can work with the city. I can work with the nation. I can work with the world. And so one of the things that um, I have been very intentional about doing is that 
I have a a peer mentoring sort of situation with a brother over in Uganda. And, um, uh, you know, we connect several times a year uh, just talking about uh, various initiatives, uh, what the needs are globally. And um, I'm amazed at how similarly our work is. Uh, Even, you know, in Uganda, which you know, is is not as uh, as developed as the U.S., but the, but the needs are the same. And so he comes here to the to the states, and yeah. uh, he's an economist, and he uh, he brings students to the states uh, once a year, and um, you know he does his lectures here, and then some students from Drake University in Iowa you know, they go to Uganda and and have that exchange. That's why I know it's important. Mm-hmm. You can impact the world. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I that's awesome. Uh, the third question I have for you is, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? I want my legacy to be that I... Um, I was involved in building networks that actually work. Hmm. I that's awesome. Uh, I can say more, I but I, you know, agree. No, 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 no. You know, I, I, because I think it's I think it's it's a level of it's very apparent. And if you work in community community development, right, in whatever facet that you work in, you notice that there's a disconnect uh, between organizations, and I think. Our, 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 our institutions are a reflection of us as human beings. And so if we're not able to mend those bonds and collaborate and come together around uh, things that are important, we're never going to advance, right? Because we know, like you said, no man is an island and no one can do it on their own. And so I think that is the biggest legacy someone can leave. It's not, you know, uh, changing the world like on your own in some dramatic fashion. It's laying down the framework in which people are able to to come together to do it do it for themselves Absolutely. and and have something to reference uh, from this point forward on how to do it. Uh, so, my fourth question, since we wrap that one up, uh, is how do you how do you view social impact work contributing to your personal mm. growth? The thing about the, the the thing about social impact work is when you see the change, whether it's in an individual or it's within an organization or an institution, and you can actually look and you can see your handiwork in that, mm-hmm. whether it's a change in strategy whether it's acquiring additional funding, whether it's uh, proving that your strategies actually work, Mm -hmm. then there's no greater feeling in the world than to know that you have made a difference. That's just not a better feeling. Um, I think the last time we talked, I um, <clears throat> I told you about uh, some of my work with kids who yeah. have been in foster care. And, uh, you know, I would see them uh, in my travels and uh, I would not recognize them. They would recognize me and uh, they would just tell me, you know, you helped me get my first job or. Uh, it was something that you said, uh, you know, they'll quote something that I said. And it, even this uh, this summer when I was teaching <clears throat> design thinking to, to middle schoolers as, as a part of uh, yeah. a, uh, a STEM program at, at, at Morehouse, uh, you know, 
one of the students just reminded me, he said, um, mm-hmm. Mr. Mayfield, all that you do, do with your might. Things done by halves are never done right. <laughs> and uh, that was something that I just had mentioned in, you know, preliminary conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, you know, he got that. Still that one. He he got that. And but that was something that uh my father had yeah. said to me. And um, you know, it just rang very true towards my personal uh development and how I approach the world and how I approach my work is that hey, you know, if it's unfinished, I'm gonna tell you. Marcus, this is unfinished, but this is what I have now. <laughs> you know, with, with more work, more time, this is this is not the complete answer. This yeah. is just part of it. And it's okay. That's no, awesome. Because this is what I have to contribute at this mm-hmm. time. This is all that I can do at this time. With more resources, I can do more. And so it's that type of uh, relationship that I think that I have developed with most of my friends my uh funding mm-hmm. organizations it's like okay they said well hey maybe you're gonna tell us the truth I'm like, oh, yeah you know you're boxing me in so this is what you get yeah <laughs> no it's, i i think one in, in the way I, as as you're talking i'm thinking about man it sounds like because you know obviously i didn't think i was the only person that thought like this but it, it gives you your life meaning and purpose you know, you create these goals and you achieve these goals. So not only is it rewarding to you as a human being to to do the type of work, right. To work with young people who are uh, in the the penal system or work with people on the ground to develop their distressed communities uh, inside of you, you know, I think having accomplishments under your belt, it does something to not only your, your, your confidence, but also to your spirit, right. You feel like you're making towards becoming a better person. It's 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 odd how it's odd how those things work, but yeah, uh, it's awesome. The thing about it, Marcus, is that um, I think that having good relationships is the answer to ninety nine percent of the world's problems. Yeah. You know, you know, spiritually, if you're talking about just reasoning together, but if you can, if you can get people to come together and to um, to work collaboratively, mm-hmm. then uh, you, you you that that is the biggest struggle. Yes, that is the biggest struggle is is getting people to to collaborate, and particularly with the African American community. Uh, and I always say this, you know, particularly when I'm working with faith organizations, is I said, I said we'll build a church, but we won't, we won't build businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, help me out, help me yeah. to understand that. Okay, we'll raise money to build a a church structure, but the you know all of the other things that in the community we. Uh, we hadn't gotten there yet. <laughs> Our capacity is far beyond what we we think it is. And we always have to be pushing ourselves. And I think that's uh, the beauty of not only the social impact work, right? Because you're always, year to year, you're looking to strive to do more. But even when you're a consultant and, you know, you're challenging yourself, you have your hands in so many different pots. You're, you're changing, you're creating or you're supporting the creation of change in so many different areas uh, you're always pushing those limits, and that's what we sh- we should all be doing. No matter what what area that we are, we should always be looking to push past what we believe we can do to to do more. And the other thing about that, Marcus, is that uh, in a lot of this work, there were there were no manuals for that. Yeah, you know, there were no institute. There there were you know not many conferences. And if there were conferences, you didn't know about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, prior to the internet, you know, 
you, you were working it in isolation. And so, uh, so the opportunities that we have now, we have opportunities to, to do greater stuff. And I, I just think that, you know, people need to dedicate the, the time and be open to, to design thinking, to the creativity part. Absolutely. All right. I've talked far too, too much. <laughs> being a chatty Kathy. So what I want to do is this is the last question. If you can like wrap it up and this probably is the most like needy question, but I, I if you can give me a very uh, quick and straight to the point answer, that would be awesome. Okay. And so the last question is how do you stay motivated uh, to do the work when you're faced with adversity and failure? I stay motivated because, you know, every day is a, uh, is a, is a day for, uh, new beginnings. Mm-hmm. Every day is a day for new beginnings. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's straight to the point. That, uh, yep. You, you always get a chance to do things over. So there's no need to, to boohoo yeah. and cry over your mistakes. Okay. So uh, this is the last segment. Uh, Robert, if you could share any opportunities in your area uh, for people to get involved, uh, this is the, I call it the 10 toes down segment. So uh, any opportunities where people who are in your area or in other areas uh, across the United States, across the globe could uh, volunteer their time, their money, uh, to 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 make the world a better place. Here's your time to share those opportunities. Okay, um, this is not a specific opportunity, other than an invitation to uh, to explore and collaborate. Um, mm -hmm. I have been investigating. Um, children's savings accounts um, that would be similar to uh, individual development accounts. But basically, uh, it's, it's wealth creation. And so I would like to uh, really uh, encourage folks to uh, look at an organization called Prosperity Now, mm -hmm. who's doing a lot of wealth creation stuff. And I, I'd like to see um, these children's savings accounts that would be dedicated to uh, uh, young people being able to uh, to uh, get funding to go to college and to uh, create businesses. And so if they would do that and would be interested in, uh, you know, participating in a, a community of practice, you can provide them with my uh, contact information. Absolutely. Uh, I'll share. I can share it in the notes. Uh, okay. I'll post it up. So yeah, if anybody's interested, I'll put your information in the notes. Uh, okay. Well, that sounds awesome. And especially in our community, when we talk about impact work, uh, people are always trying to do for people uh, instead of uh, providing the, the foundation which they can do for themselves. Right. I, I came across a funding source uh, the other day in which they were actually giving the resources that a person needed. If a person needed uh, a job, they would uh, connect them with, uh, you know, a headhunter. If a person needed a car, they would finance them and get them a car. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, wow, great. Because if that's all that they needed, you know, to get over the hump, to make their lives better, then hey, ten thousand dollars for a car. There you have it. Mm hmm it, it really goes back down to that whole uh, you know, that, that saying you teach a man how to fish, or you give a man fish, right? Exactly. He, he lived for a couple of days, you teach him how to fish, he you know, he can you know, he has wealth for a lifetime. Exactly. So, okay, uh, Robert, do you have any final remarks about anything that wasn't shared so far in this in this episode? 
Um, the only thing that I, I, I would say is that um, always fill your own cup first. And that means basically investing yourself, right? Yeah. Well, the thing about it, it's, it's like when you're you're on an airplane and they tell you to put the face mask on yourself first. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to make certain that 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 you're well in all aspects. If you're not well in in all aspects, then uh, make certain that you go and get the assistance that you need to be well so that you will be able to help others. I've seen too many okay. people die in this work. Oh yeah. You know, and they 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 you know, they die uh bitter because they have given so much of themselves and you know, they don't have retirements and you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And so, uh you just have to be intentional about uh being well yourself, making certain that you're good. Can't help anybody if you yourself is sick and on the verge of death. Yeah. So, awesome. Okay. Well, uh, that will mark the end of our episode. I want to thank Robert uh, again for coming on. Uh, middle name Michael, right? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Robert, for coming on and sharing that this. Uh, awesome amount of experience, his wisdom, his insight. Uh, hopefully, you as a listener uh, have been as enriched as I have been listening to this man, uh, not only for eight months, but also uh, over uh, the course of uh, several recordings. And so I'll leave listeners with this. Uh, it's the living kind. And what that simply means is uh, as you go out into the world, uh, be sure to give of yourself uh, as it makes sense. Uh, Give of yourself as much as possible, uh, because at the end of the day, it'll come back to you uh, in the long run. So uh, until then, continue to live in kind and take care.